have you ever had the feeling that you were going under? Like maybe something in life, uh, some situation or something you did or something somebody else did just had a, just threatening to overwhelm you and you felt like you were sinking, right? Raise your hand if you've ever had that feeling. Okay, okay. So I thought it would be everybody. So all right, let me ask the question this way. How many of you know somebody who had that feeling one time? Okay, that should be everybody. All right. Well, I want to share a song with you. And don't worry, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> yeah, my, my sons were on the front line. Don't do it, Dad. Um, uh, I'm not going to sing for you. I want to share a psalm. Uh, it's Psalm 130. If you've ever felt like you were going under. And, and in this psalm, the psalmist tells us what you're supposed to do when you have that feeling of going under, submerging. Let me just read it to you. Psalm 130 it goes like this. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, O oh Lord, kept a record of sins, O oh Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I put my hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. This, this is one of my favorite psalms of all time. Martin Luther loved this psalm. He said it was the best exposition of grace in the Old Testament. It's one of the psalms of ascent. Now, it's been a while since we talked about this, but the psalms of ascent are, there are about 15 psalms that were sung when, when Israelites would make, a, make the trek or the pilgrimage up to Jerusalem for their annual feast. So it's called songs of ascent because they were going up to Jerusalem, indeed, even up the steps of the temple, and they would sing these songs, and the, the, their physical ascending paralleled the spiritual and emotional ascending of the songs. So literally, the songs of ascent are the ancient Israelite travel playlist. Okay, have you ever, you ever gone on a road trip and somebody made a, a playlist, you know, that was specific to what you were doing and where you were traveling? Uh, one time, one of my sons did one, and, and, and we were going to a place we had been before, and he started his playlist, and the first song was that classic 80s rock ballad, Here I Go Again, because we were going again. There's just something about traveling with good music, isn't there? It changes the trip, especially if it's a difficult trip. And so the Israelites got that. So they sang as they traveled to Jerusalem and they sang songs that reflected where they were in life and what was going on inside him. See, there are times in our lives when, when things are really heavy that we're going through and we feel like we're going under and we feel like we're overwhelmed and we feel like we're drowning. When we're in that situation, words seem hollow, don't they? But music, it somehow soothes us. Sometimes we need a song more than a sermon. Uh, Sometimes we need something emotive, something primal, some way to express how we feel. There are times when I've been going through things in life and I was so in such a dark place, it was hard for me to pray. It was hard for me to read my Bible, but I could sing a prayer. 
Because there's something about music. So the psalmist says, I'm going to give you a song to sing when you feel like you're going under. This is a song for when you feel like the bottom has fallen out and you're in over your head. Let's look at it. Start at verse 1. Out of the depths, I cry to you. But the song starts with a water metaphor, okay? It's out of the depths. The the depths refers to the sea or the deep of the ocean. And that was a prominent biblical symbol for chaos and the danger that overwhelms. So whoever wrote this, we don't know for sure if it was David or if it was somebody. Whoever wrote this starts out by saying, I'm in deep. I'm in over my head. I'm, I'm going under. Help me. It's similar to ways he started other songs. David started uh, Psalm 69 like this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters and the floods engulf me. He feels like he's going under. And in Psalm 130, it's stuff he did to himself. It's not that somebody else did something. It's, It's his own sin. And so he's saying, have mercy on me. I'm drowning. Have you ever felt that way? If you've never felt that way, if you've never felt like you were being submerged by the overwhelming pressures of life, I would calculate your age to be about eight years old. Because life has a way. Have you noticed this? Life has a way of throwing you in the deep end, whether you're ready or not, prepared or not, had warning or not, and says sink or swim. So this song is written for you when you feel like you're in the deep. And I want you to see the progression of the song. Now, um, I, this week I was working on this text. I, I, you know, I had my thoughts about the text. And then I went and I found in my file um, um, notes from Judah Smith and, and his outline of this text. And so there was my outline and then there was a good outline. And so, and so I stole Judah Smith's outline. But see how this works? Watch, watch this now. It's because I'm telling you I stole it. It's now research. You see how that works? That's what it, that's all you got to do to be a scholar. So is give people credit. Okay. So, so, but watch the progression. This is one of the things that Judah Smith does a real good job pointing out. Watch the progression. The song starts in the depths, but it ends in a burst of hope that will blow you away. And here's what I think. I believe some people here need to be on this trajectory today. If you're visiting here, let me just, I need to tell you something. We here at New Life Church, we believe that the Bible is the word of God. We believe that. And and, and we don't just give lips. And and what that means is when the word of God is preached, we believe the voice of God is heard. And so when the word of God is preached, we expect it to change us. We we don't come to church because we ain't got nothing else to do. We come to church to worship Jesus, hear from God, and be changed. Right? So my expectation is that when we get into this, I'm leaving this building a different way than I came. I don't know about y'all. So here's the move. So with expectation, let's dive in. There's five movements right here. Number one, the psalmist says, this is where I am. The Hebrew, I'm told, is emphatic and emotional. He's saying, God, I'm sinking here. I'm drowning. Do you see me? Do you hear me? I'm, I know I don't deserve it. I did to myself. I've done stupid things, but I'm dying. This is a way to start a song. I think this is the way to start a prayer. The message, if you'll forgive me for quoting the message, translates verse one like this. Help God, the bottom's falling out of my life. 
See, the journey begins with honesty. It, it begins with telling the truth. I believe this is how people who know how to pray, pray. A lot of times people will come up and say, you know, I, I don't know how to pray. I, I, you, you know, I don't really know how to. And what they mean is I don't know how to sound religious when I'm praying. Because, you know, once you've been in church for a while, you know how to do it in a cadence. You, you know how to say, you know how to quote a scripture and then pause so that everybody else can say, oh, amen. Right? We know how to do that. I know how to do it. You know how to do it. If you've been around for a while, you know how to get religious. And so when they say, I don't know how to pray, what they mean is I don't know how to sound religious. Because one of the questions I've heard asked when somebody says, I don't know how to pray. Well, do you know how to yell? Then you know how to pray. Everybody, everybody knows how to pray. It just begins, here I am. I'm drowning. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever read some of David's prayers in the Psalms? I mean, some of them I can't even read from the pulpit. They're so vile. I mean, David prays. Sometimes he prays, Lord, I want you to take everybody who's mean to me, disagrees with me, come against me, and kill them all, praise God. Kill them. And, and, and hurt their children. And let me watch. I, I want to watch when you kill them. You think I'm joking. And then he ends with, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> this, what am I saying? The psalmist just begins with raw emotion. It's not polite. It's not even correct. It's not theologically precise. It's just real, raw. I don't care if it offends people. Honesty, this is where I am. I'm drowning here. He starts there, but he doesn't stay there. See, some people have no problem saying, this is where I am. But they just want to wallow in it as if prayer is just vertical complaining. You do start, I'm drowning, but you don't stay there. There's a big difference between people who want help and people who want attention. And, 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 and just so we're clear that I'm not being judgmental, I have been both of those people. Have you too, Shanette? I've been the person that wants help, and I've also been the person that wanted attention. Not the psalmist. Because looks where they go. Here's where I am. Look at the next verse. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? And I mean, it's a rhetorical question. The, the answer is nobody. Basically, if, if anybody in here thinks you're holier than anybody else in here, what David says is if God got up here and started putting stuff on the screen from your history, there ain't anybody in here who could stand. We would all be on our face. But with you, there is forgiveness. So here's like, God, I'm sinking, I'm drowning. But you know what? I was just thinking about you. This is where I am, but this is who you are. And that's the second point. This is who God is. And who he is is a God of forgiveness. God is not like Santa Claus. It's not like, you know, the whole, he's making a list, he's checking it twice, he's going to find out who's naughty and nice. If God, if God kept a Santa Claus list, everybody would be on the naughty list. That's what he's saying. There ain't even a nice, well, there is a nice list, Jesus. He's the only one on it. 
Because we've all sinned, we've all fallen, we've all done things we regret. I, I read a story this week about a guy who went into a church for the first time. He had never been in any church. He never had experience. He goes in, it's more liturgical sort of worship, and they stand up, and the first thing they do is, is a confession. God, we, we confess that we have sinned, we have done things that we should not have done, we have left things undone that we should have done. And the guy looks around and he goes, these are my kind of people. Because <laughs> that's the only kind of people. And God forgives. He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. He's a healing God. And, and, and the text says, with you, I, yes, God, here's where I am. But here is who you are. With you, there is forgiveness. Now, the translators correctly put the word is in there to show it's present tense, perpetual forgiveness, meaning it has a beginning, but it doesn't have an end. But in the Hebrew, I'm told, and you guys know I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I, I know people who are. Uh, the Hebrew, I am told, is with you forgiveness. Meaning forgiveness is just part of who God is. Again, if you'll forgive me for quoting the message twice in a single service, um, verse four says in the message, as it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. Don't you like that? Forgiveness is God. It's just who he is. It's what he, when he's just being God, that's what he does. Which means when you get God, you get forgiveness. Just as a side note, I might ask, what do people get when they get you? This is just a side note, just wondering, because I was thinking about that about myself this week. When people get Tim, what do they get? You know, some people are so pessimistic. When you get them, you get pessimism. Or they're so cynical. When you get them, you get cynicism. Or some people are so encouraging. Man, they're just speaking. You know how people are just so encouraged. You just like being around them, because when you get them, you get encouraged. Well, the psalmist says, when you get God, you get forgiveness. When you feel like you're going under, just say, God, I'm sinking. Have mercy. And then begin to revisit his track record. This is where I am, but this is who you are. You're a good God. You're a merciful God. You're a forgiving God. When somebody gets you, they get forgiveness. You're a providing God. You're a healing God. You're a God who comes for me. You're a God that didn't leave me in my sin. You're a God who died on the cross. You're a God who rose from the dead. You're a God who lives forever. You're a God above whom there is no other. This is where I am, but this is who you are. And I want you to note in the song, there's already a change in the song, but nothing's happened in his circumstances that has changed. The only difference is the psalmist has gone from looking at himself to looking at God. And now this song's going to crescendo in an incredible burst of hope. Which, by the way, is how I think a good worship song ought to go. I, I know these days, you know. Oh, Jesus, help me. I know a lot of worship songs these days is all about how I feel. I feel this, I feel that. And, and, and look, I think you ought to start there. But at some point, we got to go from this is how I feel to this is what is true. That's what a good worship song is. That's what the psalm does. Here's how I feel. I'm sinking, but here's who you are. See, because listen, sometimes how I feel, let me just speak for myself. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. But sometimes how I feel and what is true is not the same thing. Now, look, we're not getting legalistic here, okay? We're not going to be those people who are like the, you know, there's some churches, they're like the feeling police. And if you say, I feel bad, don't say that. Don't say that. You can't feel bad. I mean, we don't do that, all right? That's silly. Okay, so all silliness aside, we say how we feel, but we don't stay there because I'd like you to consider the possibility that just because a thought comes into your brain doesn't make it true. 
have all kinds of thoughts. Some of them are true. So watch, what, watch where he goes here. He says, verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and not in myself do I put my hope. In his word I put my hope. My soul sing, waits for the Lord more than the watchman waits for morning. More than watchmen wait for morning. So watch what he's doing. Here's where I am. But this is who God is. And that leads me, number three, to this. This won't last forever. You're like, where'd you get that? Follow the progression. This is where I am. But since this is who God is, he's a forgiving God. He's a faithful God. We better keep our eyes peeled because he's probably going to show up. I'm waiting. I'm watching because God's about to do it. In his word, I put my hope. Meaning if God said it, he's going to do it. If he said he's going to show up, he's getting ready to show up. The basis for my hope is not optimism. The basis for my hope is the rock-solid foundation of God's word. See, when I was in high school on one occasion, and I can't even remember what it was. It was our senior year, and there was something. I don't know if it was like a senior skip day or somebody. It was like after graduation, a lot of people were going to go to Kings Island or something. I can't remember what it was. And my dad found out about it, it was whatever it was, and he just said, you're not going to do that. And then, you know, if I did, I would be disciplined. Like, I don't know, you know, grounded for three decades or something like that. And, uh, you know, and, and so I, I remember talking to one of my friends and saying, oh, I can't do that. Whatever it was, skip day or go, whatever it was. I can't remember. I said, I can't do that because if I do, my dad said, you know, this is what's going to happen. And, and one of my friends goes, man, your dad ain't going to do that. You're 18. And I looked at him and said, you clearly have never met my father. Because if you guys have come to New Life Church in the last 20 years, you know soft Pastor Carol. You know I have eight grandkids, Pastor Carol. This is 30 years ago. And my father never made hollow threats. No hollow promises, no empty threats. If he said it, it was going to happen. Right? So I, I said to this guy, you obviously don't. That's what the psalmist says. He's saying the same thing. If my daddy said he's going to show up, he's going to show up. My hope is in his word. And, and then he uses an analogy. It's a weird analogy of a watchman waiting for the morning. Now, this is weird for us because we don't have watchmen. You know, we have, we have satellites, you know, we have radar, all that. But we don't know. There's no wall around downtown Louisville, you know, with somebody, a watchman looking across to see, you know, if, if more Hoosiers are going to swim across the river to freedom. Uh, I, look, there's another one. There's another one. Here they come. You know, they don't, you know, or if, or if you're a Hoosier, other way around. There's nobody in New Albany looking to see if anybody from Louisville is sneaking across, right? We, we, don't, we don't have watchmen, but every ancient city had watchmen who stood on the city wall, and it was watching that was prepared in case they had to take action. It was watching that was not passive. It was active because people's lives could depend on it. If the gate had to be open, someone was running in, they, they had to be watching. If there was an army coming in, they had to be watching. People's lives depended on it. And, and so what he's saying is, I wait for the morning like a watchman is waiting because God's going to show up. And also notice this. I think this is part of the analogy. The watchman waited knowing that morning was coming. I mean, if you went to a watchman and said, hey, what, what do you think the probability is that the sun will come up in the morning? 80-20, 90-10, 50-50. I mean, what's Vegas's over-under odds on the sun coming up? They would say, man, you're crazy. It's, it's 100% chance the sun's coming up. 
See, watchmen don't watch wondering if the sun is coming up. But knowing beyond any shadow of a doubt that this current darkness of night will give way, for it must give way to the brilliance and beauty of the sun. So there's no question that this night won't last forever. I want you to hear this. No matter what you're going through, no matter how deep the waters are, no matter how dark the night, no matter how painful or confusing the situation, this won't last forever. And you say, well, how do you know? You must be an optimist. No, it doesn't have anything to do with optimists. It's based on the fact that I know my dad. And if he said it, you could take it through the bank. It's grounded in the reality of his track record over thousands of years. And the fact that this world is not all there is. Even if it lasted this entire life, it's nothing compared to eternity. There is another world. This, this isn't all, this isn't everything. Paul said it this way, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. So what? So this, tempor- this night is temporary. It is night now. And it's okay to say it's night when it's night. But morning is coming. So, so here, here it goes. Watch the progression here. Here's where I am. With some emotion. I'm dying. But this is who you are. And that means, because of who you are, that means this won't last forever. And now he has the audacity to speak to the whole country. Can you believe this? Verse 7. Oh, Israel, put your... He's telling them. He, just a minute ago, he said, I'm drowning. Now he's going to tell everybody else. Put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. What kind of love? What? It means it never fails. And with him is full redemption. What what kind of redemption? Not 50%, not 75, 100% redemption with him, right? Now, this is actually, if you stop and think about this right here, this is actually kind of funny. Because just a few minutes ago, not even a few minutes, a few verses ago, he said, I'm dying. Now, Israel, listen to me. That'd be like if I got up here and said, y'all, I am broke. I ain't got no money. Hey, America, listen to me on how to make money. Like, what? But he's gone from focusing on himself to focusing on God, and that's created him uh, to be a statesman for a nation. He's gone from martyr to messenger in seven verses. What's the point? Here it is, and this is the fourth movement. And yes, there are five points. There's three points and two bonus points today. So bonus point number one, or number four, is I'm not the only one. This is where I am, but this is who God is, which means it won't last forever. And by the way, I'm not the only one. One of the most devastating things about being in the depths, which is where this song begins, is that you feel alone. Loneliness is one of the most devastating feelings in the world because we were built in for relationship. We were made in the image of a relational God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we want relationships. That is why one of Satan's greatest strategies is to keep us disconnected from each other. Because then he can whisper in our ear. Nobody else here has ever done that. Nobody else here struggles with this. Nobody else has this problem. Nobody else feels, nobody ever has these thoughts. You're the only one at New Life Church. Well, the psalm turns outward because he knows if he's wrestling with something, that means somebody else is. 
You know, one of the criteria I have for, for messages that I bring is if it blesses me, if it moves me, if it challenges me, I, it'll probably bless somebody else. If it doesn't move me, challenge me, bless me, it probably ain't going to bless anybody else. But if it moves me, it probably will move you or somebody here. Right? You know, one of the biggest things about giving testimony, which I, other people who, well, I'll just use my own experience. There are times when I've been, you know, revealed something to you guys and said, here's a, what I struggle, something I struggle with or one way I fell, whatever, you know, and I give you something like that. Whenever I do that, one, two things always happen. Number one, somebody catches me and they try to fix me after church. It's like, and it's usually just one person, but somebody come up and say, well, you know what your problem is? <laughs> and I want to say, I want to say, I know what my problem is right now. But I don't say that. I say, what's that? What's, what's my problem? That happens. But let me tell you what happens way more than that. Lots of people will come up and say, I thought I was the only one. You know what I'm talking about? I thought, oh, when you said that you, I have too. I have those thoughts too sometimes. I, I wrestle with that too. Way more. Because as one former children's minister of New Life Church used to say, all God's children got issues. Or as they say at Christ's temple, past the tissues, we all got issues. <laughs> Peter said it this way, 1 Peter 4, 12. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. This is encouraging. Because it means no matter what you ever go through, somebody else has already been through it. They might be sitting on the same row as you. Or how about this? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Here's what Paul says. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Common to, meaning you're not the only one. And look at the last verse. This is the last one and we'll be done. Please, if you checked out, come back. You need to hear this. Verse 8. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. So here's the fifth and final movement in this song. God is my Savior. This is so important. Don't, and don't anybody check out on me because you think you already heard this. And you think you got it. What is the psalmist saying? He's saying this. You can't save yourself. If you're in over your head and you're sinking, you can't do it on your own. In fact, in the Old Testament, I'm told again by Hebrew scholars, there's three different Hebrew words for the word redeem. And all three of them are cast against a background of helplessness. In other words, humanity has been captured. They're captive by this power to forces they, they, they cannot overcome. So they need the intervention of a third party to redeem them. If you're in slavery... You need somebody on the outside to redeem you out of it. And when he says God himself will redeem you, I think this is a prophetic word pointing us to the cross. And it's telling us both who will redeem us and how he will redeem. The who is God himself. God himself will redeem Israel. And the how is he's going to take our place. John three seventeen. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now listen, the truth is that many of us as Christians believe, yes, we got saved by God, by grace, through faith. We didn't save ourselves. We came into the kingdom and it wasn't by ourselves. We believe that. 
But now that we're in the kingdom, too often, too many of us believe that we have to save ourselves from whatever darkness we're struggling with now. Think about that for a second. The nerve. The the audacity for us to believe I got saved by grace, but now I'm in a dark place and I'm just going to have to save myself. I'm going to have to work. You can't save yourself. That's the opposite of the gospel. Are you bound? Are are you struggling with something? Is it it controlling you? What are you going to do? Well, I tell you, I'm going to just shake it off and stop it. You don't save yourself. In your own power, with your power alone, your willpower is not enough. It's not a match for the power of hell. You you can't overcome it. You'll never overcome it. You'll be another statistic because if it's in your own power, your own effort, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion, you can't save yourself. There's only one. He's the one that took your place and his name is Jesus. How many times have we been in a place like the psalmist here? Sinking in the depths of our own failure, and, and Jesus comes and says, I want to I take that from you. I, I want to help. And you go, no, no, God, no, I deserve this. I did this to myself. I, I deserve poverty. I deserve sickness. I deserve whatever punishment. I, I, deserve sh- I deserve to walk the rest of my life in shame. I deserve all these consequences. I deserve it. And Jesus is going, I'm your Savior. See, if you're in a dark place this morning because of something somebody else did, I want you to know something. Jesus is your Savior. And if you're in a dark place this morning because of something you did, Jesus is still your Savior. Your greatest challenge is not your discipline. It's not your devotion. It's not your focus. Your greatest challenge is to believe the gospel. Could it be? Could it really be? That there is a God with a love so scandalous, so wide, so deep, so vast that he would take your place. Come on. Where do we get off thinking we're going to save ourselves? It was Jesus when you got saved. It's still Jesus. It's always going to be Jesus. It'll never stop being Jesus. If his blood is sufficient for your salvation, it's sufficient to sustain you through every challenge, every trial, every temptation. Do you know why? Because he took your place. Look at the verse again. Verse 8. He himself will redeem Israel from all their Which ones? Follow the progression one last time. The psalmist says, when you think you're going under, if you're here today and you feel like you're going under, or, I mean, you know somebody who feels like they're going under, that's what I meant to say, sorry. You know how, like, sometimes you ask a question and you say, I'm asking for a friend. I'm just asking for a friend. When you feel like you're going under, number one, cry out to God and say, this is where I am. I'm sinking. Hello, I'm drowning. Have mercy. But don't stay there and say, but this is who you are. You're a forgiving God. And that means that this won't last for This night will give way to morning. And that means also, I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one in this battle. And that leads to God is my Savior. 
He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. God is my Savior. I don't save myself. And that brings us to the foot of the cross. Which is where you want to be when you feel like you're going under. 